to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Ah, this is our last Sunday of 2016. Time passed by so fast, huh? Yeah? Man. You know, um, be- before I get started, you know, I, I, I just want to say something real quick, you know, and, um, and this year has been a, a phenomenal year for me, you know, and uh, I think one of the things that, that I'm super thankful for is um, the trust that uh, you guys have given me, you know, uh, with the pulpit and uh, teaching you on Sunday mornings. I think it's an extremely challenging thing to take life and uh, Christian advice from a 26-year-old, you know. But uh, once again, I'd like to thank you. Uh, thank you so much for trusting me. And uh, yeah, from glory to glory, you know, I will work harder and uh, bring you more good stuff. How many of you like Christmas, yeah? I tell you, man, I like Christmas. Let me, let me show you my Christmas sweater, okay? It, it, it has bells. Yes, bells. No, 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 no. If people see it on our Instagram, they might not come to the church. So I'll wear it later, I promise. You're, I'll let you all take pictures with me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I will, oh, you're scared by the bells. Okay. Well, uh, Christmas is always a really uh, fun time for me. You know, I, I love... Uh, you know, the whole festivities, I love carols, I love the decorations. Uh, and, um, you know, but, but I hate the, the shopping part of it, you know. I think, you know, my theory is that one sure way to know if you're safe is to go um, shopping at Orchard Road on Christmas Eve uh, to buy your Christmas presents. And uh, if you actually survive without wishing to kill someone, you're a Christian. And so uh, if you're not sure whether you're safe or whether you've been set free from all that anger issues, just go to Orchard Road on Christmas Eve and... Just do some light shopping and just see what happens, you know. <laughs> but I, I love Christmas and uh, Christmas is a, is a time that I, will, I, I remember and recollect uh, different things um, from my experiences you know, over the many years I've been alive. And uh, one of uh, my friends, you know, I, I remember him every Christmas. Um, and I remember him because um, I actually let that friend stay uh, over at my house um, over the Christmas holiday when I was back in the U.S., uh, when I was back in Singapore, and this was in the U.S., and his name is Sam, okay, and Sam is, is, is a great friend, but he's probably the most random individual I've ever met in my life. When Sam first got attached to his girlfriend, a week after he got attached, he posted on Facebook uh, with the question, hey guys, does anybody know how much does a wedding cost? And this was Sam. And Sam would show up at my house door at 7 a.m. in the morning and he would knock on my front door and I would come down and I would open the door and Sam would be there and be like, yes, Sam, can I help you? It's 7. It's like, I just want to wish you good morning, man. I was just running in the area, just thought I'd say good morning. And I'm like, is there anything else? He's like, nope. And then he just goes back home. I'm like, Sam, man. Sam is such a random guy. And I remember when I, I let him stay over in my house over the Christmas holiday and I let him crash in my place for two weeks. And I remember coming back home to my house. And uh, first thing I did was walk into my, my bathroom. I had this bathtub, small-ish bathtub, couldn't fit me, fit like half of Andre. And this small bathtub, and around the bathtub were eight bar soaps. Okay, bar soaps. Most of us don't use bar soaps, but Americans love it. And bar soaps, and there were eight, not new bar soaps, used bar soaps around the bathtub. I, I was like, what on earth? You know, do you, I was just thinking to myself, does he use like each specific bar soap for each specific part of the body? You know, he just doesn't want to mix and match, you know. I was like, wow, eight bar soaps, that's very interesting. And then uh, I walked out to my carpet and it was full of, you know those glittery stars? Those stars that are impossible to vacuum up, man. Yeah, my whole house was full of, full of glitter. And it stayed that way for the next three years because I couldn't get rid of it. And, um, and then there were random stuff like one shoe hanging around the, the house. And I remember a, a month after Sam left, you know, I was clearing out my storeroom. And then I, I found this shoebox in my storeroom. Okay? And the shoebox had the words, do not open on it. I was like, this is my house. I'm going to open whatever I want to open. And so I opened up the shoebox 
and I kid you not, inside the shoebox was one fully clothed Barbie doll and a packet of Maggie Me. <laughs> random. Super random. And so, and so I, I mean, I wish I could tell you I was all brave and courageous, but it freaked me out. And so I closed it back, I taped it down, and I drove 20 minutes away from my house and put it in someone else's trash. I was just like, random. <laughs> and, and that's my friend Sam. I don't know whether you have a friend named Sam, but I do. And, um, and this is the way I feel about Christmas sometimes. You know, there, there's, so, there's so much things going on in Christmas. It's almost random. Like, take a walk down Orchard Road. You see, you know, um, trees. You see decorations. You see a snowman. And then big fat guy in a red suit. And then um, candy shaped like canes, red and white. Uh, different, different things. Candles. And then you see a random deer, a random animal. And then the scene where Jesus is born. And there's so much things going on. And it's so easy for us to get lost in all the festivities and all the things that is Christmas and actually miss out on what Christmas truly is about. Right? Right? Yes? Yeah, before I get started, you know, I want to sell and pitch a sales idea. You know, if you have a Christmas party, can I recommend that you use this line? You know, you have a picture of a deer on it and you write the words, Oh dear, you have been invited to my Christmas party. It would be really rude of you to not show up. Okay, now my let it slide. So Christmas. <laughs> hey, laugh la. That's a that's the best present you could give to Andre. And uh you know, we, we can so easily miss out on what the, the true meaning, the true purpose, and the, the true uh, uh, reason for the season. Amen? Yeah. Right? And so, um, this morning, you know, before we move on any further, I would like to read the Christmas story with you. Can we do that? Yeah, yeah? and so if you have Bibles, I want you to flip open to Luke chapter 2, and we'll read the Christmas story together, you know. And this is something I've always dreamt of doing with my future children with a fireplace in Singapore, you know, and sitting on a large brown leather chair with carpet and a big dog and reading a Christmas story. And, uh, and so you get to fulfill part of that fantasy this morning. All right? I know the fonts are really small and this is to encourage you to bring your physical Bible. Okay? So we'll start with chapter 2, verses 1. It says this. It says, It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph, Jesus' father, also, well, not Jesus, but Joseph, Mary's husband, also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Next slide. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Next slide. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the Christmas story. You know, I, I know we just read through a chunk of verses, and um, some of you might have already read it you know, this Christmas season. Some of you might not read it. You know, it's, it's so many verses, and uh, we just can't go through all of them. Um, but I'd like to share with you a, a story of um, a French priest uh, in the 1800s. And this priest, you know, he was, um, I'm reading Luke 2 around Christmas time, and he was, he, was, he, he just had this thought process. He was like, you know, 
most people are not going to sit down and actually read 14, 14 verses. Most people are not going to sit down and read through all these uh, verses and actually know about the Christmas story. And so this priest um, had an idea and he was like, you know what, I'm going to hire a poet to write a poem about this uh, verses that we just read. And so in the 1800s, he commissioned uh, a man who uh, was a wine merchant by day, but he was an occasional poet. And so he commissioned this man in the 1800s to write a poem based on this chapter that we just read. And the man who wrote uh, the poem, he was not even a believer then, but he was so uh, in love with the words that he wrote, he was so in love with the story that he actually got a musician friend to, to write uh, a music to accompany this poem. And this poem will go on to be uh, a sung in churches uh, all around the land. You know, and um, the, the other cool part of this uh, song that would, have, would be sung um, is that in the 1900s, uh, an American inventor was uh, working with the radio. And back then, you know, the radio would only produce Morse code. How many of you know what Morse code is? And it, it didn't really produce words, didn't really produce any uh, audible uh, or understandable sound. And, um, and so this man had a tremendous breakthrough and uh, it was said to be um, the first AM broadcast in human history. And this was back in the 1900s. And the first thing that the man said over the radio, he read from Luke chapter 2. And the first song that was played on the radio in the 1900s, first song ever broadcasted in human history, was this song that was written from Luke 2. This song that was written back in the 1800s, first broadcasted on the radio in the 1900s, we just sang this morning. And that's the song, O Holy Night. O Holy Night, it's, it's about Luke 2. It's about the Christmas story. It's about Jesus coming down from heaven to earth as a baby. And so this morning, I'm going to preach out of O Holy Night. And that's my sermon title for this morning, O Holy Night, A Christmas Message. O Holy Night is probably my, my favorite, if, if that's a real word, carol in the world. And, um, and what I'm going to do this morning is I'm, I'm just going to read uh, line by line from the song and I'm going to stop at certain points and explain a little bit about the context, a little bit about uh, what these lyrics uh, um, mean to me. And, uh, and I hope at the end of the sermon, this song would, would be a brand new song to you, that you will sing it with a brand new understanding. Amen? Yeah, let's pray before I start. Jesus, we acknowledge that you are the reason for the season that you are the reason why we sing, that you are the reason why we're here today. Lord, we thank you for that great sacrifice that you came from heaven, that you left the comforts of heaven to come down to earth, humble the likeness of a man for our sake, to redeem us, to save us. And Jesus, we, we acknowledge, God, that you are our Savior. And you've come to redeem us. And so, Lord, we ask that as we recount that precious story, as we recount that great story where mankind was changed forever, God, that your spirit would reside in this place and breathe forth fresh revelation, that your spirit will be in this place to turn hearts back to you once again. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's look at the first verse. Okay, the first verse is this. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Jesus was born at night. <laughs> he was. <laughs> Nothing profound about that. <laughs> you know, We must understand a bit of the context of Jesus' um, birth. You know, um, it was back in the day where there was no electricity. 
Yeah? It was back in the day where it was hard to see, hard to navigate. And Jesus was, was born late into the night. He was born in a manger. We all know that. You know, we all sing about that. But an interesting uh, fact about the manger which Jesus was born in was that it, was, it housed sheep. But not any uh, kinds of sheep. It was sheep that was set apart to be sacrificed. These were doomed sheep. These were sheep ready to be killed. And the shepherds that guarded, that fed these sheep, these shepherds were, were uh, they lived in the outskirts of the city. They lived apart from community because of their religious duties, because they needed to tend to these sheep. And so, isn't it an amazing picture that Jesus was born in the midst of the doom? He was born in the midst of the forgotten. That was the context in which Jesus was born in, in the middle of the night. And I think we would appreciate you know, a bit of, of uh, the, the Christmas story where we understand the context and the circumstance in which Jesus was born in. Amen? And, you know, it, I, I believe that Jesus was not born only in the, the, the night of day, but he was born in probably the darkest hour of human history. In Jesus' day, he was, um, the region to which he lived in was governed by a Roman emperor by the name of Caesar Augustus. We just read about him. And here's a couple of facts about Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus in his reign okay, declared himself to be God. He declared himself to be the supreme one. And all across the cities to which Caesar Augustus ruled, he erected statues of himself and made people worship him. And he would send envoys into different lands to proclaim that Caesar Augustus is the Lord. And he'll call these news, these uh, uh, people who brought about this envoys, he'll call them gospel bringers. People who brought the gospel. And this was Caesar Augustus. And Caesar Augustus would lay some of the heftiest taxes on the people to which he ruled. The Roman citizens, on an average, would eat three times the portion that a, a, a Jewish citizen would eat. They took three times the food portion that a normal citizen would eat. And the, the only way to, to bring about that whole, uh, um, uh, that whole you know, extravagance was to heavily tax the people. And so the Jewish people in that day were heavily taxed, they were impoverished, and they were forced to, to be subjected to a pagan king. And that was the day in which Jesus was born. And the specific region in which Jesus was born in, the Roman emperor set a king over that region and his name was Herod. Now Herod is an utterly, completely crazy person. Herod was insane. You know, Herod, um, it was said that in that day he, would, he married uh, 10 wives. Okay, he had 10 wives. And because he had 10 wives, he had 10 firstborn sons. And each one of these firstborn sons were vying to uh, be the top dog. They were vying to be king. And so there were a lot of competitions. There were a lot of betrayals within the family. And Herod was an incredibly paranoid person. And it was said that Herod actually poisoned three of his own sons because they were contemplating taking his throne. He killed his favorite wife. He killed her mother. He, he, he killed a ton of his family members, uncles, aunties, and that was Herod. He was such a paranoid king and he was so attached to the throne that he would kill even his own family just to retain it. That was Herod. It was said that, uh, it, one of the, the scholars in that day said that it's better to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. It's better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son because Herod wouldn't eat pigs and so he, he wouldn't kill the pig but he would gladly kill his own son. Now, Herod, on, on his deathbed, uh, again, he was paranoid, and he was so paranoid that, uh, that no one would mourn his death that he, he told his sister to go into the cities and capture all the Jewish leaders and put them in the castle. And Herod gave the instruction that the moment that he died, that they were to execute all the Jewish leaders in that moment. Because Herod's thought process was this. If no one is going to mourn my death, I'm going to give them something to mourn about. And so he killed all these Jewish leaders when he died. And this was Herod. Crazy person. 
And you know, it was said again that, that a, a, a couple of wise uh, men came to Herod's court and told Herod of the prophecy that there is coming a king who would be born in Bethlehem. And this king would reign, this, this king would rule, this king would restore peace into the land once again. And Herod was so paranoid that he, he is responsible for an event that would, have been, that would be known as the massacre of the innocents. Herod would kill every firstborn son below the age of two in the entire region. And that was the context and the circumstance in which Jesus was born in. I don't think Jesus, I don't think, you know, it's, it's by coincidence that, they, that Jesus was born uh, under the cover of night because he was in hiding. The parents were, were hiding. And that was the circumstance, the, the dark hour of human history that Jesus was born in. You know, I've always asked the question, why did Jesus choose to be born in such a dark time? Why did he choose to come in, in that moment? He could come, you know, some hundreds or some 500 years later where civil, civilization was more modern, it was more easy to, to spread the gospel, you know, it, it would have been so much easier, but Jesus chose to come at such a dark moment in human history. Why is that? You know, um, how many of you have tried to turn on your phone in the middle of the night? You know, you, you, you're sleeping, you have all your lights off, and then you try and turn on your phone. How many of you have tried to do that? Yeah? It hurts, right? It stings. Because the, the light is so bright, it actually hurts your eyes, and you actually have to lower the contrast a bit. But that same, that same brightness, you know, if you go out in the day, it wouldn't hurt as much, right? Simple logic, you know, in darkness, light tends to shine or tends to appear brighter, right? And Jesus was born in a dark time to be the light, to be the hope in a really, really dark circumstance. Jesus was born into darkness to bring light. And you know, you might be asking this morning, how does this Christmas story, how does all of this relate to me as a, a, a person sitting here, as a person living in, in you know, modern 21st century, as a person living in a first world state? How does that relate to me? You know, my, my ministers and my government does not kill babies. You know, we're, we're pretty okay. How does that relate to me? Here's the fact. The Bible speaks about a darkness that is greater than any darkness that has appeared in the face of humanity, any darkness throughout human history. And that's the darkness of sin. That's the darkness of sin. You know, the Bible says that, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, if you do a poll, I'm confident that 100% of us here this morning would have admitted to committing some form of sin. Now, sin, the Bible doesn't segment it into categories. It doesn't go oh, I'm a murderer, therefore I'm a level 10 sinful person. It doesn't go, oh, you're a liar, you're a level 2 sinful person. The Bible doesn't categorize sin that way. Sin is sin. Sin is transgression against God, period. And it says this in the Bible, it says that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. When you sin, that, that, that's what you bring Upon your life, death, darkness. But Jesus came on that first Christmas morning to bring hope, to bring light into your life. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. You know, I've lied, I've cheated, I've stolen. You know, I remember this story when I was. 10 years old. Um, you know, back in the day, or even today, you know, I'm still horrible at my Chinese. And uh, I remember failing a bunch of my, my Chinese assignments. And uh, you know, when you fail a Chinese assignment, you bring home your textbook, and then there's this like, magical chop on the top of that page that asks for your parents' signature. <laughs> I don't know, most of you are probably smarter than me, so you wouldn't have that, but I had tons of that. And so I had that, that little parent signature stamp on it. And you know, my parents are busy. They're both working. And so you know, I thought I would sign it on their behalf. And so, and so I, I signed the page, you know. And the problem with doing that is that, you know, the next time you have a parent signature on the same book, you cannot ask your parents to sign again because 
you know, they will see that you forged the signature the first time. So you have to keep signing and signing and signing and signing, signing it. You know, and I just felt increasingly guilty and, and I felt bad, I felt shameful, but I just had to keep doing it. And so I remember uh, it was the end of the year and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm finally free from this guilt. And so I took all the, the textbooks, all the articles of my shame and I threw it into the dustbin. I was like, I'm done. Yay. And so I went back home and I remember taking a shower once I got home and then I came out of the shower and lo and behold, I saw every single book laid out on, the, on my dining room table and my parents were just sitting there looking at me. <laughs> to this day, I still think my, my parents work for some like spy agency. You know? I was like, wow, they are brilliant. And so, um, and so uh, my parents, you know, they, they never liked to, to hit us as children. You know, we rarely got beaten. And, uh, and till today, I'm still wondering if this is the parenting uh, tool that, which I want to employ. But my parents would sit down with us and um, they would talk to us. But then most of the time, they would end with, so what would you like us to do with you? Or what would you like to do about it? It's like, you know, pick your own punishment. Pick your own poison. Like, what are you, you going to do about it? I remember 10 years old, I was sitting, you can ask my siblings the true story. I sat there at 10 years old. And I looked at my parents and I said, well, I think I need to go to boys' home. <laughs> um, so a bit of the context is that my, my parents have been donating to boys' home for like many years. And so every month or so, I'll get a letter in my house that says boys' home on it. And my mom would tell me, look, I know the people in boys' home. If you ever messed up, that's where you're going to go. Because 10 years old is around the age where if you say, I'm going to ask the policeman to catch you. It doesn't work anymore. No, because 10 years old, you're like, oh, police are not going to catch small boys. So that's my mom, my, my mom's new technique. She was like, you're going to go to a boys' home. And I remember at 10 years old, I sat there, you know, all gutsy in front of my parents. I said, I think I got to go to a boys' home. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, that's my punishment. That's how I redeem myself. I'm, I got to go to a boys' home. My, my mom and dad looked at me with a pure poker face. and I was like, okay, go and pack your bags. I remember going to a room... <laughs> Yeah, parents are great. <laughs> so, and so I went to a room and it was me and my helper and I was packing my own bag, you know, and uh, I remember turning to my helper, I was like, hey, you know, I don't think I need to pack so much underwear, I can flip it the other way around. <laughs> At 10 years old, man, I was all MacGyver, I was like, well, I can make do and don't need to bring so much supplies. And so I packed my bag in like five minutes and my dad was like, okay, we're going to go to the boys' home. I was like, okay. And so I said bye to my entire family. Didn't even shed a tear. I was like, let's go. It's like, it's got to be done, man. I just got to go to boys' home. And I remember jumping in the car and, uh, and we, we, we took off. And, uh, and my, my, it was a 30 minutes drive. I still remember it till today, you know. Boys' home is next to Assumption English School. I still remember. 30 minutes drive and uh, he parked the car right outside the gate of boys' home. I still remember. Boys' home. And then uh, he turned back and said, all right, now I need you to make a phone call to your mom and say your goodbyes because you're going to go to boys' home. He's like... Alright, and so I, I called my, my mom, I was like, alright, you know, so this is what you, you want to do, this is what you ask for, you're going to go boys home. I was like, yes, I'm going to go boys home. And my mom, in a stroke of brilliance, wisdom beyond age, you know, she said, now say goodbye to your little sister. And my sister was like six year old. And so six year old Daisha was cute. And still cute, you know, and so, and so, and so Daisha got on the phone and she backed and she's like, don't go to boys' home, don't go to boys' home, don't go to boys' home. And then like, I'm the kind where like, you know, sometimes you see people vomit and then you want to vomit as well. When I see people cry, I also want to cry. And so she starts crying on the phone and I start crying. I don't want to go boys' home, I don't want to go boys' home. And then my, my dad was like, you don't want to go, okay, tell your mom sorry, sorry for your done. So I, I apologize and then we went back home. I didn't go to boys' home. The Lord, the Lord preserved. And... And I got back home and uh, I wish I could tell you that, you know, I went back home and realized that, you know, young boys don't go to boys' home. But I only found out that young boys don't go, go to boys' home when I was 15 years old. When I was 15 years old, my mom told me, hey, you know, that whole thing was fake, right? I was like, really? <laughs> no idea, you know. But, you know, wh why I'm bringing this story and the shame of my childhood up is because, you know, in that moment at 10 years old, I was like, I did something bad. I have to make up for it. I have to do something in return. I have to do something to make myself feel less guilty and less shameful about what I've done. And you know, it might not manifest for you in a way of like, I'm going to go to boys' home. It might manifest for you in like, 
oh, I did something wrong against this person, I'm going to buy the person something nice. Or I'm going to be extra nice to the person, right? And we all do things to make ourselves feel less shameful and less guilty. But I've come to realize in, in life, you know, it, it's a never-ending cycle and you can never ever do enough to rid yourself of that guilt and that shame. It always comes back. And the promise of Christmas, the promise of Jesus coming is that He has come to wash you, wash away every sin and along with that, every shame and every guilt. He is the ultimate price to be paid. He is the only price that can be paid that will rid your shame and guilt forever. And that's the great promise of Christmas. That is the great hope we have in the Savior's birth. Amen? Come on. Let's have the next lyrics up. I know I'm running a bit out of time, but let's go. It says this. Oh. Okay, let's look at it. Till he appeared, and the soul felt its worth. You know, I've, I've often pondered about the story of Jesus' coming. Why did he have to come, you know, as a, a baby, you know, he created Adam as a full-grown man. Why couldn't he show up on, into the earth Terminator-style, you know, just like Terminator-style, and then he's, he's there, full-grown, 30-year-old Jesus, and then just like, you know, cut the long story short, just go and, and, and redeem mankind, you know. But he chose to be born through a woman. He chose to be humble in birth. As a newborn baby, he chose to be vulnerable, as, as, a, as a young child, and he chose to be taken care of by a woman. And forever, the story of the great sacrifice of the Son of God will be intertwined with the faith of a woman named Mary. See, we have to understand that in Jesus' day, women are not as valuable and are not treated as well as they are today. You know, if you were to do a study on the most oppressed people group in human history, it would be women. Not blacks, not Latinos, not Muslims, it would be women. Women, is, they are easily the most oppressed people group in human history. And here's why I think, you know, it, it's such, it's because the devil hates women even more than he hates men because the curse that God uh, uh, gave uh, the devil was that the women would... Uh, would dominate the serpent and he pronounced over the serpent that women would be hostile with the, devil, with the devil. Therefore, the spearhead of demonic warfare is always focused on women. And in Jesus' day, this is how women were treated. Jewish women were considered property of men. Fathers would arrange marriages on behalf of their daughters. They were not allowed to hear teachings from the teachers. They were to sit outside the temple grounds whenever there was a teaching, and, they, they, and the Pharisees couldn't even look at a woman. When, when a man were to come into a, a house of another man, that man's wife would have to sit in another room while these men had their dinner, and they were, they were pushed aside, they were forgotten, they were ignored, they were neglected. And I, I'm, again, Jesus, instead of coming Terminator-style, chose to come through a woman. And forever, the story of the obedience of Mary will be intertwined with the great sacrifice of the coming of Jesus. He has come to restore worth to those who have had their worth robbed and stolen from them. You might have done some things in your life that, that you feel shameful about. And shame is this nagging feeling that says that you're not worthy of love and belonging. But Jesus has come to restore worth to those who have had their worth robbed from them. See, I paid X amount of dollars for this guitar. Let's say I paid $300 for this guitar, right? But if I were to walk into the store, you know, and I look at this guitar with a $300 price tag, and say, you know what? I'm not going to pay $300 for this guitar. I'm going to pay $5,000 for this, for this guitar. Of course, the shopkeeper is going to think, you're nuts. You're insane. Why would you want to pay so much? But you know what? I insist on paying $5,000 for the guitar. If I take the guitar, I push across $5,000 across the table, he accepts it, I leave the guitar shop with the guitar and a receipt that says, I paid $5,000 for the guitar. How many of you know that even though it was originally priced at $300, but because I paid $5,000 for that guitar, it is now worth $5,000? Because Jesus gave his life for you, you are not worth the sum of things that you do. 
you're worth his life. You're worth his blood. And that's the great promise of Christmas is that you're no longer measured, your worth is no longer measured by the things you do or do not do, by your mistakes, by your shame. Your worth is determined by the precious blood that was spilled on your behalf. Sinless, spotless, blameless men. He gave his life so that you could live the life that he deserved. That's the promise of Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. And for women, Jesus will continue to redeem them throughout his ministry. Here's a couple of fun facts. The greatest revelation of worship he trusted to the adulterous woman at the well. The greatest revelation on the resurrection, he trusted to Mary, Lazarus' sister. The first evangelist was a woman. Ten male disciples were huddled up in a house hiding during Jesus' crucifixion. It was three women and John who stood at the foot of the cross to comfort him. It was two women who found the tomb empty. It was Mary who first encountered the risen Savior and went to tell the disciples about him. Jesus came to restore worth to those who had their worth robbed from them. It's a good day to be a woman. Because Jesus came. Next line, it says this. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. You know, I, I, did, uh, uh, I did some research on you know, the different prophecies of the Bible that described the coming of Jesus' birth. And, it, it, and uh, a mathematician, he did the same research and he, he did a, a study you know, using probability. And he says this, for Jesus to fulfill only eight okay, of the major prophecies spoken over his life, only eight, okay, there were some 200, to only fulfill, for a man to fulfill eight of these major prophecies, the probability would be one, is to 10 to the power of 17. One is to 10 to the power of 17. To put it into perspective, okay, it is like covering the entire state of Texas with dollar coins 10 times over and finding one specific dollar coin in all of that. That was the probability for Jesus to fulfill these, this prophecy. And, and get this, Jesus didn't just fulfill eight. He fulfilled every single one of them. Why can we hope? It's because if you have ever thought the odds were stacked against you, you can have hope. Because Jesus overcame the odd of 1 is to 10 to the power of 17 and even more. I don't think you can fully calculate the probability to which you overcome to fulfill every single one of these prophecies. If you are sitting here today and you feel hopeless about situation, you can hope again. Because Jesus overcame all hopelessness. A famous quote I once heard, it says this, that, that any area of a life that is not filled with hope is under the influence of a lie. And that area is a stronghold of the enemy. He is the God of hope. He is the reason why we can hope again. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. The Jews had hope again in the midst of their darkness because Jesus came. In Luke 2.10, it says this, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. And today, the hope that we talk about, the hope that we sing about, the hope that we now uh, live with is the hope of the gospel. Is that every shame, every guilt that you're experiencing even now, every hopelessness, every trial, Jesus has won it all. And His blood has paid for everything. And the hope that we now have is in the gospel, in the good news, Jesus Christ. Let's have the next verse up. You know, uh, let's, let's move on to the next verse. Next slide. It says this, and, and Daniel just read it uh, just now. It says this in Philippians 2. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That sums up the Christmas story. That sums up 
Jesus is coming. That sums up what he did. But the question of the hour is, why did Jesus do that for you and me? Why did he come? And it's found in the next, the, 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 the next verse. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know, as Christians, we've probably heard sermons on John 3.16, you know, probably 10, 20 times. And remember, I was, I was sitting in a classroom and, and uh, it, we had our preaching assignments and uh, a, a student, a friend of mine, uh, he had, has three doctoral degrees and, and uh, we were assigned different verses to preach and his verse was John 3.16. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be good, man. This guy has doctor, doctor, doctor and, uh, and he's going to bring such an incredible new angle to John 3.16. But I was completely shocked when he got up on a pulpit, and he just read that verse and he started weeping. He said, that is the great hope. That is why I'm alive today. That is why I have every reason to sing, every reason to praise, because God loved. And His love was not passive. His love was not disengaged. His love gave. For God so loved the world that He gave. And I was, I was pondering on like, what should we do this, this Christmas morning? You know, should we um, um, sing more carols? Or should I you know, give you an hour-long exegesis on, on, on different passages of the Bible? Should I try to impress you with my knowledge and my intelligence? But here's where I want to take you this morning. I want you to ponder on John 3.16 in your own life. For God so loved you that He gave. And I think, you know, it's, it's such a, a commentary on a spirituality when we're not even moved and touched by the reading of this verse. This verse that is the great light in the midst of darkness. This verse that is the hope of humanity, the hope for all eternity. And... I want to show you a video next. And this video, before I show you, I set a bit of context for it. It is a, a, a video that, that shows a group of missionaries who have spent a year in Papua New Guinea learning the language of a rural tribe. And after a year of learning the language, after a year of building relationship, this is the first time they've preached the gospel. And this is the first time to which they've quoted that verse that we read, John 3.16. I want you to watch the reaction of the villagers as they hear the gospel message. Can we play the video? Village believers stating that he too believes that Christ has paid for his sins. Itao, which means it's true or it's good, it's very true. Village grandma rejoicing that he believes, so does she. Different ones giving testimony as to their belief in Christ as their sin bearer. Mark saying that if they really are believing, then God's word says that their sin is forgiven. Itao, it's good, it's true. Spontaneous rejoicing breaks out. This went on for two and a half hours. That's really cool, huh? That, I feel, is rightful response to hearing the greatest news that's ever been told, the greatest story that has ever been told in human history. And today, as the, the band comes on stage, I want to re-educate you, if you will, or, or recount to you what the gospel message truly is. And this is 
a perfect day to remember what Jesus has done for all of us. Amen. And so I'm going to present the gospel to you in six points. Point number one, God created us to be with Him. It says this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were created for communion. We were created for relationship with the Lord. Next slide. Our sins separate us from Him. He is holy, He is perfect, He is blameless, and He cannot partake in sin. He cannot partake with sinners. So when we sin, it separates us. It pulls us away from Him. Next slide. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. It's not a skill. It says, even one sin bears the penalty of death. The Bible talks about our own efforts in becoming righteous and it compares them to filthy rags. And that word filthy rags, you know, in, it, in this original script, it means a cloth soaked in menstruation blood. It's gross. That is what our righteousness looks like compared to the righteousness of the Lord. Our sins cannot be removed by our good deeds. Next slide. Paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again. He paid the price for each and every single one of you. Next slide. Everyone who trusts Him has eternal life. Eternal life is not just a mansion in heaven, but the Bible describes eternal life as this. Eternal life is knowing Him. Some of you, you're in church this morning because someone told you that if you do not pray this prayer, you're going to hell. You're going to burn. That is true. That is a fact. But that is not the complete gospel. It's not a gospel of fear. It's a gospel of love. You get to spend eternity with the one who loves you, who would give the whole world for you. The last slide, it says this. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. What we have, what we have experienced and what we're experiencing today is only a morsel, the full picture. That is a life that's far more glorious and far more beautiful than we've ever experienced on the earth. That is the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. That is John 3.16. Can I invite you to stand this morning as we close the service? For just a moment, I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I want you to begin to ponder on the words I've spoken this morning. I want you to begin to think about John 3.16. Not just as a theological statement, not just as a sermon topic, but as something that's been made real in your life. That the reason why you're standing here today, free of every shame, free of every guilt and condemnation, is because of God loved and He gave His Son for you. Humbled Himself in the form of a human baby. Grew up went through the same struggles, the same pain that we will go through. And ultimately, as a grown man, would bear that cross on our behalf. He loves and He gives. Just take a moment to ponder that sacrifice on that blessed night, O night divine, when Christ was born, when Christ willingly came down for our sake. Just take a moment.
right now I want to extend an invitation. Some of you, this might be your first time in church or you might have been church a couple of times or you might have even grown up in church. And you've heard the message of the gospel today. You've heard that God loves. That's why He came down on that first Christmas day for your sake. And He has come in the darkest of days to bring forth light. He has come to restore worth. He has come to bring hope to those who are weary. And this morning, I want to extend an invitation. If you would like to receive Jesus into your heart, if you would like to receive Him who loves and gives for your sake, some of you might have even responded to this call before but today you would like to rededicate your life to Jesus because you don't want to, to just respond out of fear or out of cohesion you want to respond to the love of God I want to extend an invitation to you as well so this morning if you are saying I want to receive Jesus into my heart I want to live a life that is transformed that is free from guilt, shame, and condemnation. I want to be washed by His blood and live a pure and blameless life. At the count of three, as I give this invitation, I want you to gently lift your hands and I'll pray for you. If you're saying you want to receive Jesus to your life, at the count of three, lift your hands. One, two, Is there anyone that wants to receive Jesus into your lives? Thank you. Thank you. I see your hands too. Thank you. Is there anyone? I'm just going to wait for a little while longer. Don't let this moment pass you by, ladies and gentlemen. He has come to restore the weary. He has come to restore you every guilt and shame thank you I see your hands thank you thank you this is what we're going to do as a church body if you are a believer in Jesus Christ or you're responding to this message I want you to repeat this prayer after me let's pray dear Lord Jesus I thank you for coming down on that Christmas day. I thank you for giving up your life for my sake. I acknowledge that you are my Savior. I acknowledge that you are my Redeemer. I acknowledge that you are my friend. I believe that you died and rose again. Your blood cleanses me of all fault. So today I make a decision to open the doors of my heart and let you in. And I know that I will live transformed. Never the same again. I thank you for all that you have done for me. And I thank you for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Jesus.